Hi, I'm Raymond from Insert Quest here. My pronouns today are he, him, and I'm talking to the creators of Sundown, L and Nova from Grasswatch Games. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you both. Would you mind introducing yourselves for our listeners? Hi, I'm L. My pronouns are he, she, and they. And I'm Nova. My pronouns are he, they, and fey, fair. Excellent. Wonderful. Um, so... Normally with our interviews, we take a, sli- uh, a, a bit of a conversational style, um, but at your request, uh, we've got a bit more structure. Um, so I think let's just start at the beginning uh, with how did each of you first become interested in tabletop role-playing games? I, uh, I played my first session of D&D when I was six with AD&D, and I... Played my second with uh, 3.5 at 11, and I've been doing that since. Yeah, cool. And um, who who sort of first introduced you to uh, that? My brother. Cool, cool. Um, nice. Um, and Nova? So I kind of found out that D&D existed by... Um, I was very interested in books as a kid, so I raided my dad's book closet like constantly whenever I ran out of my own books. Um, and he wasn't home very often to police that, so I just kind of got into whatever was there. And one of the things that he had was um, the books for 3.5. And I was like, we need to play this right now. And then it took me like six years to actually find a group because I was around uh, 10 at the time that I found those books. So it took me six years to find a group to play with, but I um, started playing 3.5. And I kind of, 3.5 isn't really my thing. And I started finding out about more uh, TTRPGs more recently and kind of got back into it because there's now games that I actually want to play that are easily available. And that's been really good. Yeah, no, that's cool. The reason I always love asking this question is you get a lot of different, um, you see all the different ways people have gotten interested in role-playing games and stuff. Like we had one person who started out by, like playing choose your own adventure books and then found out about role playing games that way. Um, but yeah, I just love hearing the interesting ways, like the thing that you just said uh, about um, finding them again now and then actually being something you're more interested in because the landscape of games has changed. Um, I guess my next question then is when did you start to get interested in making games and not just playing them? I, um, I guess at 14 when I started dungeon mastering and uh, writing my own settings and homebrew rules. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what were some of the early examples of that? Like, uh, what kind of settings were you making? My first two settings were basically World of Warcraft, and I didn't realize it until someone said, this is World of Warcraft. Had you played World of Warcraft before at the time? Uh, yeah. So you just sort of you just sort of hadn't realized that you'd internalized that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's it's interesting how that sort of stuff comes out because like a lot of my focus is interdisciplinary art stuff. So um, it's interesting to me the kind of things that come to the surface when we create things and where we draw from consciously or unconsciously. Um, yeah. And then when did you when did you first make a game? You mentioned that you homebrewed some rules for that, but is is Sundown your first game? No, but it's the first game anyone on the internet will find. Look, totally, 
Totally <laughs> fair. <laughs> Everything else is purged, did you say? Yes. <laughs> fair enough. Um, and Nova, what was your uh, path to game creation? Oh man, so this is always super embarrassing to admit, but um, it's because I met Elle and I had a super big crush on them and they were talking about their gaming blog and stuff that they were doing, which doesn't exist anymore. Don't try to find it. Uh, <laughs> but it, um, it, it, was, it was really cool and I was like, wow, this looks really fun. And they told me about Sundown before it was named and stuff and I wanted to write with them. So I was like, hey, I can do Fiends. Do you need help with Fiends? And then I accidentally accompanied. So, <laughs> excellent! I love that. That's very good. We don't have a. That's sort of a. I really love that story because we don't get that kind of narrative much, um, both in a wider sense, but also like here specifically in these interviews. We've never had someone say, "Oh, I had a crush on this person that I'm now <laughs> running a game design company with." Um, but that's like how one of my projects started as well. Um, so I'm here for that. I'm here for that kind of energy. Um, <laughs> I'm very impressionable and Elle is very cute. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> and so how, how did, uh, Elle, how did you take to having someone want to work with you to create something? What was your initial response, I suppose, when... Uh, when Nova said, hey, I could write this thing. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, yeah. Normally, whenever I've wanted to collaborate with someone, I've, it's, I've always been, I've never had them come to me and be like, oh, I want to work on this thing with you. Not normally. Um, a lot of the time when I've collaborated, it's been me being like, hey, I want to make this thing with you. Or, hey, would you like to make do this with me? Um, so, yeah, I guess it's just interesting to uh, find out what the reverse is like i suppose yeah it was an immediate yes from me because i knew i didn't want to do taxes or layout mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well that wasn't even on the table at the time it was really just like hey you're struggling with this thing i'm good at this thing would you like me to help <laughs> i knew i was gonna ask you for layout oh oh wow <laughs> two years two years early the long con it was <laughs> layout design at first sight wow <laughs> Uh, I did not know layout when I offered to help with other things on the project. So I learned layout just to do this. That's very cool. What other, like, I mean, probably there's a lot of things that you had to learn specifically to start working on Sundown, which we will get to in a minute. If you don't know, it's the game that these two are currently kickstarting. Um, so what, to be specific, um, what were some of the skills that you learned for the project that you feel stand out as personal achievements? Um, for me, it's definitely the layout. Learning InDesign um, has been very useful. It's been very fun, too. It's been rewarding. Also, learning how to do proper project management and learning how to write contracts. Those have all been really helpful for me. Mm, yeah, contracts um, is one that I haven't got any experience with yet, so that'll be fun. <laughs> I, I always, I always want to work to protect the interests of the people that we uh, work with. So contracts were very important to me to make sure that the terms were equitable, equitable to everyone involved. So now that I know how to write those, it's been a lot easier. Yeah. And what about yourself, Elle? Was there anything that stood out as, oh, wow, I, I learned to do this thing that I couldn't do before? 
I think I became a lot more socially conscious. Okay. And uh, in particular, I learned how to take uh, the criticism of our sensitivity editors. Oh, that's really interesting. That's not one that I've heard before. Like, I learned... Yeah, that's cool. I'm real... Yeah, nice. Um, so... I would really like to come back and touch on the sensitivity reader thing later, but I think it'll feed in nicely to some of the other questions uh, that we've scattered out for later. So I think what we'll do now is move on to talking about Sundown, if everyone feels comfortable. Yeah, cool. So on Kickstarter, you described Sundown as a low-tech science fantasy set in a transhumanist frontier, a cyberpunk goes wild west kind of situation. I have reworded some of this. Um, an episodic game that focuses on otherism, class, and colonialism. Um, now, what I want to try and do, to the best of my ability, uh, is look at how you've created that by talking about some of these terms and breaking them down. Um, does that sound like a thing everybody's on board for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, I figured first up, we'll latch on to the one that any long-term listeners will know that I is the reason that I tracked you down to interview you is uh, transhumanism, which is something that is very much a part of who I am. Um, so I was very excited as I previously stated uh, about the idea of a transhuman fantasy RPG. Um, so uh, I wanted to know why did you choose to make a game that explored transhumanism and how did you go about doing that? How How is your game transhumanist and how do you explore transhumanism? And I guess, to a lesser extent, how does transhumanism relate to your own life experiences? But we'll start with, how did you put transhumanism into your game? And we'll go from there. Well, we're both trans and we kind of just broke the heart. Yeah. Um- And the way that we kind of mechanically conveyed that in the world is with changes. Um, Changes are kind of how you deal with transhumanism, because that's what you use. Um. (laughs) Yeah, so I remember reading about the changes a little bit on the Kickstarter, I think. Um, And so my understanding is that they're kind of things of various types that you find out in the world and then you can use them on yourself to change you, basically. Um, It reminded me a lot of the... It reminded me less of the kind of stuff we see in other more directly science fiction and cyberpunk-related stuff, like more typical, I suppose, um, or cyberpunk stuff, where it's like oh, I graft this limb onto myself or whatever. And it reminded me a lot more of the alchemist stuff from Pathfinder, how they're like mutating their body by imbibing different substances and things like that. Um, but I'd really love to hear a bit more about the changes and where you got the ideas for that and how you how they work um, narratively and mechanically. It's definitely um, alchemy. We actually used to call it alchemy, but we changed it to... Uh, science because people were kind of assuming that alchemy involved magic mm-hmm. and that's not really the case it's it's purely a kind of uh, proto-chemistry with um, things in sundown that just don't exist for us mm-hmm. so like in sundown you if you find a cattail by a pond and you smoke it you grow a cattail love it i'm here for it i'm all about it 
And the, uh, the science of changing is taking all those things and combining them to create entirely new and more extensive changes. And the stuff you find in the wild also, like, you will get that cattail, but there's not a guarantee it'll be the cattail you want. And the way that you kind of do that is by manipulating it with uh, other elements with um, a a changing pod that we call eggs, because we are really that directly literal. (laughs) (laughs) So does the person go into the changing pod? Yes, the person is inside the egg. Right, so, I mean, there's some more trans themes there, for sure. Um, for, for, for those of you that may not be aware, egg is somewhat of a term in trans communities. Uh, you can try and find more information about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really interesting that you did that. I kind of am very much here for that. Um, yeah, interesting. So, <laughs> it's not a pun, it's a metaphor. It's a metapun. It's a metapun. It's a metapod? Um, to make a Pokemon joke. <laughs> um, you can come out as a Butterfree. Interesting. So, are there something that often happens in more cyberpunk media than transhuman media? Um, is this idea that you can have too many um, augmentations and changes to your body. Is there an upper limit? Um, nope. Good. I'm here for that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we didn't take that approach. That approach is... That approach uh, is very cis. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty upsetting. So there's no upper limit to the, um, to the modifications you can have. Um, is there sort of an expectation that everyone will have changes or what exactly within the game is, I mean, obviously the game is about that, but is there a way, what sort of provisions within the setting, I suppose is what I'm more interested in. Are there for people that don't want to change? And is that just not part of the player experience, which is fine in my opinion, but I'm interested. This is is a change we made kind of recently actually, but as a as a player of this game, you are a changeling. Mm-hmm. Like we don't sundown as an experience is not really one for someone that doesn't want to participate in changing. Yeah, no, I think that that is fair. Um, no, that makes sense. And while while the players are all changelings, the other thing is that the rest of the world isn't quite as friendly to it. So there is still an element of fighting against like other powers there too and part of the reason we made that change is because like if you're already alienated and you're already going to be a changeling it makes sense that all of the drifters that that you would be playing are changelings and not that you become a changeling later so we kind of made that change because you're going to be interacting with those systems of power regardless yeah you're a you're a it is a it is a what is the word i'm looking for Uh, it is a cultural tenant and marker of this community that you engage in this activity. Yeah. Um, I guess then my question is what sort of changes do the players begin with? If it's a game about, to a degree, because there are other aspects of the game, if it's a game about exploring these changes and like going out and finding things to change yourself, um, 
what sort of beginning do you have if you're already a little bit changed? That's uh, it's entirely up to the player what they want to start with and what they want to be part of their um, their story to find. Okay, cool. We don't prescribe too much. We do have some upper limits on like the type of power you can <laughs> gain from changes, but not... There's not really, like, you start with this list. Yeah, you start with this All list. right, so it's not a prescriptive list. List. It's more like, here's a bunch of examples. Make your thing. Yes. That and was I, actually our approach to a lot of the game. Right, so. and so I guess then there's probably also a list of, these are examples of stuff that perhaps is a bit too much. In terms of power, I mean, because you were talking about power a second ago. Yeah. Our system is um, kind of freeform. Mm-hmm. You don't have you don't have skills or ability scores. You have uh, traits, which are a lot like aspects from Fate, mm-hmm. except you directly use them to add to your rolls whenever they count. So we kind of have some examples and a guide on what kind of power you can have in Sundown and what kind of traits are appropriate. I guess my final question relating to the transhumanism. Uh, aspect and the body changing thing is and this comes from uh, indirectly from a friend of mine is what is it possible to obtain a non-physical form as one of your changes um to be like an amorphous ball of light for example that's outside of the scope of what i wrote for sundown but i'm not going to tell you no at your table look that's fair no that's that's kind of the answer that i half expected so i think that that is a fine answer i i I kind of think uh in in canon that would be a change that has not been developed yet so it'd be something that would be like you develop at your table so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that makes sense cool interesting um so i guess next i want to talk about fantasy and western as a genre uh which both have a lot of history of imperialism and colonial attitudes being wrapped up inside of them. Um, sometimes this is subverted or looked at and, um, and acknowledged, if uh, nothing else. And sometimes people have attempted to try and divorce these genres from those um, aspects. Um, An example that always stands out to me that is shared both in fantasy and Western as a genre uh, is that uh, is the roles of indigenous people and how they're treated in those genres, Um, both fantastical made up indigenous people and actual real indigenous peoples. Um, So I guess what I wanted to ask you about is how did you for sundown choose to approach the topics of of that colonialist sort of stuff and what did you want your game to say about it we definitely tried to lean into it we want everyone to be able to tell their own story in sundown but we didn't really do it right the first time or the second time uh until we brought uh cell on as a writer mm-hmm. cell is a language revival activist and um yeah. Cell is Jalagi. And Cell is also a writer by trade. Mm-hmm. So um, they had been recovering from surgery for a while. So I was like kind of putting off asking them about this until they seemed to feel better and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, 
Um, so is this within the scope of your work? Is this something you would want to do? And we've been really excited about working together ever since because this is basically their dream job. Uh, <laughs> so I did not um, expect it to be their dream job. I did expect it to be a job they were in the scope of doing, but um, we've been having a really good time uh, writing because we've just kind of been like, look, this is your story. You tell this. And that's been kind of our approach ever since Sale is writing about poems and not us. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. And so, I guess, I guess then you have colonialism featured within it, but it's definitely, is it something that you expect the players to be against, I would assume? <laughs> we do not expect for any player to be in favor of the colonialist elements in Sundown. Excellent. That is what I was hoping to hear. Um, yeah, we in fact have an intro to that by cell in the preview that's available for download if you want to read some of the existing text um, that talks about how awful and brutal colonialism is and exactly what's going on in Sundown that is dealing with mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, no, that's kind of what I expected. Um, there was, yeah, there have been some games in uh, recent years that have been like, oh, we're sort of, you know, you can fight the colonialists, but also you can be on their side. I'm like, why would you even include that as an option? That doesn't need to be an option in your game. Why would you be, why would you want people to be on their side? Yeah, um, there's a difference between wanting to roleplay a bad guy and wanting to roleplay someone that is part of the system. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I mean, the same people that are, you know, colonizing Sundown are also the same people that are going to want to kill Drifters. So it would be very bad for you to try to support them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so I guess that sort of brings me to, um, well, actually, no, I think there's a little bit more here, actually, now that I think about it. What exactly are the, I guess, what are the people that are being attacked by the colonialists in Sundown, um, who are they and what does that look like, I guess? Because if you have, if you're dealing with colonialism, then there's someone there that's being affected by them, I'm guessing. I'm just interested in what that looks like in Sundown, if that makes sense. Do I need to clarify that further? No, that's good. No, I think we just need a moment to answer. Sorry, no, that's Ray. fine. No, 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 that's fine. So... Uh, the Sundowners, that is the people that are the colonizers, uh, came to Sundown across in a really big ocean to the uh, east of Sundown. So to them, Sundown is the place where the sun sets. The Ihala migrated to Sundown like a thousand years before that from a desert over the mountains to the west. And um, when the when the Sundowners got here, the Ihala were... Um, living in the ruins of a previous civilization and trying to recover lost knowledge and technology. But the Sundowners swept them aside and took all of that research uh, for themselves and commodified it. Interesting. So I guess then there's, there's, there's possibly, and this I guess ties into one of the other themes that you um, mentioned on the Kickstarter, um, I guess that there's a room there for... I mean, you've got obviously the anti-colonial attitude and a thing you can explore, and obviously you can explore all of these at the same time. But you've also got there this kind of anti-capitalist thing of they've taken knowledge and commodified it, so 
like giving knowledge away is an act of resistance and the sharing of knowledge freely is this way of of opposing them in kind of a soft way as well um so that's that's really interesting um did you did you intend for that to be a feature oh yeah we're very anti-capitalist yeah yeah um i don't know how to write from a perspective that isn't extremely anti-capitalist so <laughs> that was and honestly pretty- in this day and age why would you want to <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to write from a anything other than an anti-capitalist point of view? To be honest, um, <laughs> if you're a capitalist, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That sounds fake. No one's a capitalist. You like the <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that? I think I cut you off. If you like the way leather tastes. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, no. Okay. All right. That's pretty good. Um, Cool. No, I think that that really addresses the kind of stuff that I was, um, that I was asking about. It's interesting that you have this ancient civilization thing going on that I was not, I had, I was not aware that that was a feature of Sundown, which is interesting. Like, you know, things you learn when interviewing people. Um, uh, What kind of... How much is, within the setting, how much of what the cultures and stuff within the setting, how much of their societies and their cultures and their and the details are set and prescribed and how much is left open to be filled in? So, like, have you drawn specific inspiration from real cultures to build these or have you just kind of said they have these things that they have to do but then you all can fill them in as you wish to represent whatever imperialist you need them to be we drew in uh, real world cultures from all around the world and gave them fictionalized names basically okay um I, and sorry please go ahead oh i was just gonna say i assume that your sensitivity readers helped you with that oh definitely yeah um so me chelsea and Cell all worked on that um very carefully because we do not um like the main character that we use as an example is roma and i am roma so i was very cautious about the way that uh l wrote that character cell um spoke to indigenous perspectives of course and um chelsea kind of looked at a lot of the south asian stuff that we were including as well as um just caribbean in general, uh, they are Jahaji. Like, we assume that your sensitivity readers are trained. Not only trained, also, like, lived experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the cultures that they read for, so. Yeah. That's the only training you can have and be a sensitivity editor. Yeah, I would be very cautious of uh, anyone that claimed to be a sensitivity editor from a group they are not a part of. Um, As in, would not hire them. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. No, I think that that is fair. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I would just be like, I don't trust you. (laughs) Just generally, don't trust you. Not even, yeah, a little bit. Look, if someone is white and claims to speak to black experiences, I'm going to look at them like they're Rachel Dolezal, because they are. I mean, (laughs) that's that's just pretty much no. (laughs) Uh, So... 
Um, I guess my next question actually relates to similar lines. I wanted to know what kind of tools you put into the game to facilitate exploring all these themes that you wanted your game to represent. Um, My specific example here is, like, you talk about it being a queer punk story. What tools exist within the game for specifically exploring those narratives? You had more to say about this. Okay. So we have um, an entire narrative framework of the book set up for telling these stories. We don't sit down and say, you will be telling queer punk stories, but all of the framing that we use in the book is setting up for you to be fighting the establishment, basically. You're fighting against established powers. You're trying to eke out a living for yourself in a world that is trying to crush you, and you're just trying to get through your next day in all of these scenarios. And some of the very specific tools we built for handling that situation, um, one of the first things in the book is a consent mechanic so that you can kind of have something to navigate these topics a little more carefully and more closely with your table. You can kind of figure out what things are safe and what things are not safe at the table and during play. It's there to help facilitate that. And we do um, encourage the inclusion of other safety tools people might be more familiar with or... Um, are more comfortable with, but the entire framing of the book is set up to tell those stories. It would be very hard not to. You would have to go out of your way to ignore our frame not to tell queer. We do mandate that there is a consent tool at the table. You just don't have to use ours. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, you go. It's just better if you have a tool you feel comfortable using. Um, our tool is there because it serves a purpose if you don't know other tools or might want an additional tool. But Also because I like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you, uh, something that we're really interested in is safety tools and things like that. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how yours specifically works. It's a printout with uh, three squares on it and written in the first square is... I am uncomfortable. Yeah. And the second is I need to change topics. And the third is I need to stop. And when you encounter something in play that bothers you, you put it in one of those three categories. and everyone else acts accordingly. Mm -hmm. And there are specific guidelines on how to react to those things included in our text. And the text of our consent tool is included in our preview, if you would like to. I was going to say, I would, uh, yeah, when I imagine it would be, because it's kind of a necessary component of your design. Um, Yeah, consent tools are really interesting. I really, and and safety tools and things like that are really interesting and are things that... um, I'm always you also write down the issue in in the square as it comes up. And, oh, that's uh, cool. As a session zero, you think of you think of everything that would uh, upset you, and you put it you write it down then before you even start playing. Yeah, indeed. No, I've definitely I definitely do stuff like that um, myself as well for my games. Um, often asking people like things that they definitely don't want. A lot of my. Um, a lot of the people that I play games with play a lot of horror games, so that uh, even the, or rather, horror-skinned games that aren't really horror games, um, and so they're very comfortable exploring that stuff. But I'm still like, no, nah, we gotta, we gotta have this discussion. I don't care if you're gonna say, no, I'm fine. I don't need to exclude anything. We're still having the discussion each time because, like, I'm gonna remind you all of the things that I definitely do not want, um, and so. Uh, I want to check in and make sure that you haven't changed your feelings on that, uh, which I think is the most important about thing about making those sort of features a key of your um, of your design, whether it be a game or like a 
a podcast or whatever is that you are creating this space to have this ongoing discussion? It's something that's very important to me personally because there's also times where, like, I can handle the discussion and I want this in my game. And there's times where maybe this game I can't, I can't have that. Like, there are horror games where certain types of body horror, I'm just like, I can't do this today. And other days I might be okay with someone doing weird fingernail things. Yeah, indeed. But most of the time, that's that's something I say no to. So it's it's nice to be able to reinforce, like, you are supposed to check in and check in often. And you mm-hmm. are supposed to be conscious of what other people are okay with. Yeah, no, definitely. That, that, that tracks for me as well. Um, cool. So... This is an interesting design thing, actually, um, because we're talking about safety tools and things like that. So this flows nicely into my next question, which is uh, the fact that on your Kickstarter, it says that your game is aiming to be dyslexia-friendly. So I wanted to know how exactly you did that and what kind of challenges there are to making a game more accessible to people with dyslexia, because I know that the needs of people with dyslexia can be really varied, from person to person. So like there's a friend of mine that has dyslexia where they can't read big, huge blocks of text. Um, and so they find it easier if I break up, if I put space between each line. Um, but another friend of mine's like, it doesn't make any difference whether you do that or anything else. It'll still be hard for me to read. So just write it how you normally would. <laughs> uh, so I'm wondering what you tried to do to make your text more accessible. Okay, so my answer is going to be shorter than Nova's. Um, I'm dyslexic, and I wrote the book. Yeah, cool. That makes sense. So I (laughs) guess if if you could read it, then then that was your first pass. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that Elle did um, that makes the game easier on them is they went out of their way to put a lot of information in those short, bulleted format. They made sure that they used words that were not 10-point, SAT words basically ever. Yeah, it's a very conversational style. Yeah, because part of it is also just getting... If It's already hard to read. Now you're distracted and bored. Yeah. Now you don't even want to keep reading. So <laughs> um, they worked hard to develop that style too, that like something they want to... Um, and as for layout, I'm going to be kind of harsh about this. There's really not a lot of challenges to it in layout. Um, There are tons of tools available. There are tons of fonts available to make it easier. It is very easy to, like, pay someone with dyslexia to read if you don't have someone with dyslexia on your team. You could offer someone, like, 10 bucks to read a page of your game, and you'd be fine to have, like, a couple different people touch it and look at it and say, hey, this is hard for me to read or not. Um, My sister is dyslexic, um, so I asked her as well. You know, that, that I'm, I'm lucky enough that there are multiple people around me that are dyslexic, but I've also passed it off to friends that I did not know were dyslexic, and one of them, like, cried because it was the first book they could read. In. So I did not know they were dyslexic at the time either. That was something that was really good to hear back, was like, I could read this, this was good to read, but if you are looking for specific advice on how to tackle laying something out for dyslexia, um, Cass K has an amazing three-part series on it. Her design blog is very thorough on talking about it because I believe she is also dyslexic and designing for dyslexia is a topic that's kind of important. So that is a good resource to check out if you want specific tips. But the best thing I can say is read that and also find someone with dyslexia that you can like have look at your book. Multiple people is best because it wasn't 
super challenging. It was make sure Elle can read this, make sure my sister can read this, done. There's tons of really simple tools in any layout program you use. You don't need InDesign. You can do it in Affinity. You can do it in a word editor. You do not have access to fancy programs that you download off the internet. <laughs> Most of my drafting was in Google Docs. Yeah, I'd, I'd write everything in Google Docs. Um, uh, that's really cool, though. I'm really... Yeah, and I mean, again, you're sort of showing that... Um, how important the whole sensitivity reader and um, beta reader thing is to your um, to your design process and how much you are how much uh, work you're putting in to getting those different perspectives I think is really shining through especially for a really small um, company uh, and and organization um, there are large groups that don't do as good a job as what you're doing with you know, less budget, less people, less reach, less, uh, less, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, the difference is we care. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do want to say, I don't want this to be a shining commendation on us. I want this to be a blight on larger groups that have the money that are not doing this. <coughs> Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Definitely. No, no, no. I get that. There's always, you know, room for improvement and such, but there's, it's still worth, uh, mentioning that you're doing a lot, um, with very little and, you know, other companies are doing way less with shitloads more. Um, so yeah, I definitely get where you're, where you're coming from with that. No, um, yeah. Um, I, I appreciate it. I'm just very salty about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. No, I get that. So a question that we always ask and uh, always kind of get the response of, we're focusing on the Kickstarter right now, uh, which, you know, we understand, but we'd like to ask it anyway, is uh, what do you have planned for the future once Sundown is out? Um, so what is the life of the project after that? Um, but also what are some other projects that you might be working on that you would feel comfortable talking about? And again, it's fine if the answer is we're really focusing on the Kickstarter, but we still like to ask it anyway. So I'm already working on the first steps of a Sundown 2, but before that, we both have a lot of smaller games we want to write. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I am attempting um, to simultaneously do my first game in two different, uh, two different, completely different contexts. I am doing a folklore jam game, and I'm also uh, writing with the San Gennaro co-op for a small, sm the small games digest number two, um, which is really exciting for me. Um, my theme was raccoon heroes in trouble for that, and that is probably going to be the first game that I finish. I think um, I got an email from that co-op asking for an interview. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> I, think please. They, I think maybe they sent me an email saying, hey, we'd like you to interview us. <laughs> but I could be thinking of another uh, co-op. But yes, please continue, sorry. No, actually, I do think it's you, Ray, because I had seen your name there before. However, I am not a person who is in charge or handles any of that media or outreach. I just kind of was like, Hey, this would be cool to do. And I got a topic. I was very excited about that's that. That's cool. <laughs> no, I'm really excited for you to get those things done. Um, yeah, that's cool. And, uh, and they're already working on a sundown too, which is wild. It has a very different design approach. Do you want to talk about that? Elle? Um, it's all right. If you don't feel comfortable talking about it yet, though, that's fine. So Sundown, for the most part, was finalized a year ago. 
mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of ideas on how to uh, like focus the mechanics more on what the game is actually about since then, and um, I've had nowhere to put them, so there's going to be a Sundown 2 now. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, that's... Uh, oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, no, I think that that's often... Uh, yeah, when you... When you have to, when you put down something, and then you're like, "Oh, there's a way I can make this better." Um, I have a problem with. Um, I'm very receptive to feedback. Uh, I have someone that I work with a lot has criticised that I'm too receptive to feedback. Um, in that, I get it, and then immediately, like, immediately want to change things, and it's like, "No, you ca- you can't just keep changing everything because then you've got to change it back when you realise that that person's suggestion was." not working or uh, whatever. And so um, I have been, I had to work very hard a while ago to, uh, to get to a point where I was pausing between iteration um, so that I wasn't changing things that didn't necessarily need to be changed. Um, but yeah, that's really... We're at each other because you're describing us. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um... L is the one that constantly tries to implement new things. And as the editor, I have to... Um, I remember the way that we handled this during playtesting was that I forced them to only have one change log, log for the entire week. <laughs> like, okay. one change log a week was, was the way that I handled that during playtesting. And uh, for months at a time, I had to keep telling L, you cannot touch the game this week. You can't. You can't. You're not allowed. Nothing is allowed to change this week because I have to at least catch up to the amount of editing that you're doing. <laughs> no, that I get that. That's that's kind of a wonderful story, though. Um, <laughs> that's interesting as well because I'm thinking of um, a friend of mine told me a story about a particularly a, a middlingly famous Australian artist, well known here, but as my understanding, not well known outside of Australia, um, who there wife often had to hide paintings that they were working on um because they'd just keep working on them and then and eventually they'd be like the painting's done but you keep working on it and then they just hide it from them until they were forgot about the painting and moved on and started a new one (laughs) 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 which you know is a bit controlling but also is an interesting anecdote i I understand the perspective of that painter's wife. <laughs> I've definitely been very frustrated with L changing things so much. As Cons- the editor consensual of project, hiding of the Google Doc. Yeah, as the editor of this project and the editor in general for a lot of other things, please, please don't. <laughs> please, please just don't make me have to do that. Like, please don't make me have to tell you to not touch your things because you need to stop. <laughs> Oh wow! Wonderful, wonderful. No, I, I'm I'm excited. <laughs> I'm very excited to see what stuff you're going to bring out in the future because I think you have, from what I've gotten from this interview, a very interesting uh, and caring approach to what you're doing. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see what other stuff you're going to bring out. I'm excited to see what the folklore jam brings to you and what other projects and the future of Sundown brings. Um, but for now, I just want to thank you for being on the show uh, and ask you uh, how long is left on your Kickstarter or when the Kickstarter closes. The Kickstarter closes May 10th at 11.59 p.m., which is about 15 days from now. Indeed. So you will have 
ample time to uh, go and check out uh, Sundown before <clears throat> before the uh, Kickstarter closes out. Uh, if people want to find um, more from you, uh, from each of you and from your uh, organization, um, where can they do that? Obviously, we'll have the Kickstarter links and these other links below, but where, where can people find more information about you and the work that you're doing? Aside from our Kickstarter, we have an itch page and between us, three Twitter accounts that all talk about Sundown. Um, that would be my personal account at Novarian Noel, Al's personal account at LA Wilga, and the company quote-unquote account at Grasswatch Game, which is really just LA Wilga number two most of the time. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, Cool. So yeah, we'll have links to all of that down below um, so you can find all of that. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to this interview and you'd like to see others, um, we have uh, more interviews on our main site and obviously on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, we have interviews with game designers, uh, game makers, uh, editors. Uh, we have people from Australia and across the world. Um, although really Australia and America uh, primarily, I think some New Zealand designers and I don't think anyone from Europe yet or Asia uh, or Africa or the Middle East or there's a bunch South America. There's a bunch of places where we could, where we still need to interview more people. Um, and we also have actual plays of uh, games if you want to check out that. Uh, and what makes this stuff possible is our generous supporters on Patreon uh, who, uh, give us the money to run our site and also buy the software we need uh, to uh, do these interviews and make these recordings and things like that. So thank you to all of our patrons uh, and thank you to uh, Elle and Nova for being on the show today. I hope that you enjoyed yourselves to a degree. You were wonderful to talk with. Thank you for having us on. Not yeah, this was great. Yeah, cool. Excellent. Um, yeah, and again, a pleasure to talk to both of you. Um, and so I guess I'll say farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>